So this morning, I'm going to do the impossible. We're going to talk about eternity. And we're going to talk about the plan that God has that began in eternity past and will carry all of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to eternity future. If you have your Bibles, let's begin at the beginning. And I'm going to use several verses this morning. So you may have to get the CD because we're not going to read them all. I'll give some of them to you and we'll look at some of them. But you need to hear this from the Word of God, not from the mind of some person. What does God's Word say? Because that's the only thing the Holy Spirit is going to enlighten you to understand as we begin this concept of understanding God and the plan. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. I said, let's begin at the beginning. That's a good place to begin, don't you think? That is the beginning. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In the language of the Bible, this is what it says. When the beginning began, we're already out there where we don't quite understand that. When the beginning began, when did it begin? When it began. You weren't there. He was. When the beginning began, God created the heavens and the earth. The word God here is the word Elohim. It's a compound word made up of two parts, El, God. And the word means God of power and God of strength. And Ohim means keeps his promises. The God of all strength and power, the creator God, is the God who keeps his promises. The thing that's interesting about this verse is God is plural. In the Hebrew language, you have singular, you have dual, and you have plural. Singular means one, dual means two, plural means more than two. Do you get it? The triune nature of God is three words into the Bible. The Trinitarian nature of God is right here before us. This is not singular. This is not dual. It's plural. But it's singular in meaning. Elohim created. The plurality of God created. You say, wait a minute, Brother Owens. You can't have a plurality. This is when the beginning began. Jesus hadn't been born yet. Ladies and gentlemen, Bethlehem is no more the beginning of Jesus Christ than Calvary was the end of Jesus Christ. He's eternal. And the Holy Spirit was present, hovering over whatever was not there. (laughs) I told you this boggles the mind when we think about it. When the beginning began... As we think about this, as we contemplate the nature and the character of a triune God who always was, always is, and always will be, a God who never changes, a God who knows everything and yet loves me and loves you, it boggles the mind. I don't know about you, but I can just speak to me. In a world seemingly gone mad, In a world of terrorism, in a world of prejudice, in a world of pride, in a world of all of the nastiness that goes on to this world, 
it is comforting to me to know that there is a God who's overseeing it all and a God who has a plan. And ladies and gentlemen, do not in the moment of thinking that somehow things are out of sync. God is on schedule. It's just like where this church is. In fact, we're ahead of schedule. God's right on time. God has never been confused. He's never been caught off guard. He's never been caught wondering what to do next. God is God and he is in control of everything that happens. And that's the God who loves you. And that's the God who has a plan and that's the God who has a plan for your life. Well, that's the front porch. Let's go inside and see what the Word of God says. First of all, I want you to understand God thought it. This plan, God thought it. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And God said, let us, plural. Who's he talking about? Now, don't you come to me and tell me it's the angels. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let us, plural, make man in our, plural, image after our likeness. You see, everything that's created was and is, number one, for his pleasure, Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. But everything that is been created that was and is is also for his praise, for his pleasure and his praise. Have you ever wondered why would God create man? This all-sufficient God who has no need of anything. God doesn't need anything. He's God. Yet he created man. Why? Well, to fully plumb the depth of that, we'll have to ask him when we get to the other side. But part of the reason, I believe, is because he wanted to show his love, his mercy, and his grace to a people. And he wanted to show that love, mercy, and grace to a people, now listen to me very carefully, who would respond to his love, his mercy, and his grace. The angels don't know about salvation. You do. And when you read about the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to die as a payment for your sin, and you hear that, and out of a heart, you say yes, and you respond to him in love and then live your life as best you can, empowered by his spirit to bring honor and glory to his name, that brings him pleasure. That brings him pleasure. That he could love us and that we would respond to him. And all of this, ladies and gentlemen, was determined. Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, Ephesians chapter 1, verse, verse 4 before the foundation of the world was ever set. You see, God knows everything. God's never been caught off guard. 
God wasn't caught off guard when Adam and Eve did what they did. Before they ever did it, he had a plan. <laughs> Is anybody listening to me? He had a plan. And the plan is being worked out for you and for me. The plan is right there before us. Before there was ever anything that was, he had a plan. God thought it. God thought it. God thought it. But not only did God be thinking before, not only has God thought it, but Satan fought it. Satan fought it. Again, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Genesis 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it. And here we go. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. God didn't say that. That's man adding to what God has said. And that's still the damnation of this world. We've got men who are adding to God's word. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, you beware of adding to or taking away from this book. Now, it's talking about the Revelation itself. But what is true of part of Scripture is true of all of Scripture. And there are cults today that take the Word of God and twist it and turn it to make it mean something it doesn't mean. God help them. They're under the judgment of God. It all starts right here. Eve says we're not supposed to touch it. God didn't say don't touch it. He said don't eat it. And see, this is how it works. Now, I wasn't there, but I have a feeling she went. Nothing happened. I touched it, nothing happened. That's exactly how we do sin. God says, don't do it. And we say, let's see how close we can get to it without doing it. And when we do that, we put ourselves in a compromising position. God thought it, but Satan fought it. Look, if you will, in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 28, one of the great passages, one of the great chapters in all the Bible. Ezekiel chapter 28. Now, it's in two parts. It begins talking about a man, a ruler, and then it, it changes. Uh, if you get down to Ezekiel chapter 28, the Bible says in verse 1, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto the prince of Tyrus, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, thine heart is lifted up. And he goes on to talk about a man, a man, a man. Verse 11, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. Look down at the last part of that. In the day that thou wast created. Here the transition is from a man to Satan himself. And listen to me. There is, a, there is a false understanding today in theology. There are people who say you have God and you have Satan. These equal and opposing forces that are battling it out. And 
boom, boom, boom. That's not what the Bible teaches. God is eternal. Satan is a created being. He is not eternal from the standpoint of being co-equal to God. He's an idiot. He's an idiot. He was the prime minister of heaven. He had the number two job in heaven. But because he was not number one, his pride said, I'm going to take over. And that's what led to all that's been going on in this old world. And there's coming a time at the end of time when one puny angel, one angel, will take him by the nap of the neck and throw him in the lake of fire. One angel. On Calvary, Jesus could have called 72,000 angels at his beckoning. What could 72,000 angels do? A lot, brother, a lot. At the end of time one, he says, go get him, throw him in there. Go to hell. That's where you deserve to be. When you read this chapter, you read here, verse 15, thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as a profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, which from the midst of of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before the kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled the sanctuary by the multitude of thy iniquities and by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore, I will bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. I will devour thee and I will cast thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold you. Verse 19, all they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror and never shall thou be any more. God thought it before there was ever anything. God thought of you and God thought of me. And God made payment for sin in eternity past. But Satan fought it. Satan fought it. And Satan did what is exactly what Satan was supposed to do. If you read the Bible in Genesis 3 verse 1 and Matthew 4, 3 through 11, where Satan tempts Christ, you'll find out the same temptations that befell Eve and Adam are the same temptations that Jesus had. You remember that? You remember all that was going on there where he said, take these, Satan said, take these rocks and turn them into bread. He said, let's go up on the pinnacle and throw yourself off and let the angels catch you. What a show that'll be. And he took him up on the mountaintop, up on Mount Nebo and said, look out at all of Israel. This can be yours. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. And every time Jesus responded out of the book of Deuteronomy, thou shall not tempt the Lord thy God. It is written, it is written, it is written. And the Bible says that after that third temptation, the word that's used there, it says Satan left swiftly. And the word that's used there means velocity. <laughs> Sometimes I'm just amazed at the Bible. When Jesus confronted him with, thus saith the Lord, Satan went, Phew! 
Looked like something in a Hollywood movie. He's just gone. You see, he cannot, he cannot, he cannot stand the Word of God. That's why it's so important. We know the Word of God, that when temptations come, we're not trying to resist the devil in our own strength and power, but we resist him in the power of thus saith the Lord God. And I guarantee you he'll run because he's a coward, an idiot and a coward. God thought it. Satan fought it. But Jesus bought it. He bought it. Acts chapter 20. If you have your Bibles, meet me in Acts 20. You need to see this verse. Boy, it's a good one. Acts 20 and verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. This is talking about the role of a pastor. To feed the church of God. It's very interesting. To feed the church of God, Jehovah God, which he, who's he? The antecedent here is God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. God thought it. Satan fought it. But praise his name, Jesus bought it. You see, on Calvary, he purchased the church. Now, we just voted the other day to sell the church. Brother Owens, can you help me with this? Yes, I can. The church is not a building. Never has been, and it never will be. In the Bible, sometimes it's analogous because God's trying to help us to understand how you fitly put together a church, and we are building blocks that are put into the church, and that's how you build a building. That's how you build a church. But the church is not this. Jesus didn't die for brick and mortar. He died for flesh and blood people. So when he purchased the church, he didn't purchase the buildings. He purchased People who would respond to his love, his mercy, and his grace. And so we have every right to sell the property because the property is simply an asset to be used as headquarters, as a place to come and corporately worship and plan and study and grow. But this can happen anywhere. And so don't confuse this with the church. This never has been the church. Now, I know we say, well, we're going down to the church. I know what we're saying. But I'm going to tell you, that that thinking can confuse people to the point that people start worshiping this. This is a beautiful building commodious to worship. But this is not what Jesus died for. He died for me. And he died for you. And he purchased the church Read the verse. This is one of the great verses to talk about the fact that Jesus is God himself. He purchased the church of God, the church of God with his own blood. Now, God the Father didn't die. Jesus Christ died. God the Father didn't shed his blood. The Holy Spirit didn't shed his blood. Jesus Christ, the God-man, shed his blood. 
And when he did, he purchased you and me. On Calvary, the price was paid to purchase you and me. That's why we're not our own. <laughs> We've been bought with a price. Therefore, we're to glorify God in our body, which is our reasonable service. God fought it. Satan fought it. Jesus bought it. But guess what's next? The church caught it. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. When you read the book of Acts, you read about the plan coming into fruition. God had thought it in eternity past. Satan, who was the bright shining cherub in heaven, fought against to the point that I think Satan thought he won at Calvary. You know, on Calvary, Jesus says something very interesting. Right before he dies, he says, it is finished. In the language of the Bible, tetelestai, it's one word translated, it is finished. It is finished. And he died. He didn't pass out, ladies and gentlemen. He didn't swoon. He didn't faint. He died stone cold dead. And I'm sure all the imps in hell had a party. Did you hear? Master, did you hear? He's finished. We won. But don't you know there's some smart aleck demon who really listens. And while they're jumping up and down and having a good time, I've just got a feeling one of them said, oh, Master, oh, Satan, Satan. I think you got it. He didn't say he was finished. He said, it is finished. And I'm sure Satan said, well, what's the difference? The plan is the difference. Praise his name. The plan is the difference. Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross in order that the payment for sin could be made. But on Easter Sunday morning, he comes alive to show that payment is received by God the Father. And the very thing that Satan thinks he won is the very thing that seals his doom. He thinks he won. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. I don't think Satan is omniscient. He's subtle. He's very smart. But he's not omniscient. 
That's why today we see all hell breaking loose on this planet. Because I think we're getting down to the, to the closing days of this age and dispensation. And I believe God, as he's beginning to rain the curtain down, Satan is doing everything he can. What do you think terrorism is? Terrorism is a false, godless religion. And it is devastating this planet. Where is that coming from? Where is that coming from? It's not coming out of a political system or even an ideology. It's coming out of a religion. Satan always wants to disguise what he's doing to make it look like it's something good. To where today there are people bowing, scraping to a false religion whose very aim is to change this planet and to take it back to the fifth century. But I'm so glad that there's a plan. I'm so glad that before there was anything that was, God thought it, and he has thought it all the way through to the end. God knew Satan was going to fight it. That's why he had Jesus Christ to give his life as a sacrifice for sin. And now, it's our turn. Jesus is not here physically. His Holy Spirit is in me and he's in you. And his Holy Spirit is getting us to do what Christ would do if he were here. That's to tell men, women, boys, and girls, not only is God not mad at them, God loves them in Christ. There's hope and help and forgiveness for sin. Sin never has done anything for you. Christ is the one who's done something for you. And Christ is the one who's forgiven you of your sin. There's a plan. There's a plan. In 1926, a pastor, in the midst of a sermon, wrote some words. Listen to the words. It still is apropos for today. Here's a man who was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never owned a home. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never put his foot inside a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place he was born. He never did one of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed upon a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth, his coat. When he was dead, he was laid in a barred tomb through the pity of a friend. Yet 20 long centuries have come and gone. And today he is the centerpiece of the human race and the leader of the column of progress on this planet. I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that have ever sat, and all the kings that have ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man upon this earth as powerfully as he has this one solitary life. And I would add who had a plan.
who had a plan. And ladies and gentlemen, his plan is not just for all of us. His plan is not just for the church in total. God has a plan for your individual life. And I'm here to tell you, as a fellow struggler along the way, you will never know true peace and happiness until you align yourself with his plan for your life. I could have been a successful businessman. I could have. I could have. I could have been a coach. I could have been a lawyer. I was well on the way to doing a lot of that until God called me to preach. And everybody on both sides of our family said, we're not too sure about this. But I'm here to tell you, I've never known peace of heart. I've never known what it really means to be somewhat in God's will for my life than when I adjusted my life's direction to coincide with his plan. And I'm here to tell you, the greatest joy you'll have in your life is when you're doing what God asked you to do. It's that simple. God has a plan. God's working his plan out in our church. And we're going to see in a few months, dirt moved. After 17 years, we're going to see dirt moved. In another year or so, you're going to walk into a building. And coinciding with all of that, I believe God is going to pour his blessings out in the form of people that we're going to reach, young couples who have little kids who this morning don't have a snowball's chance of going to heaven that are going to come and learn about Christ and learn about the plan and become a member of this church and we're going to see God's blessing bestowed upon a church that's willing to follow the plan. Let's bow in prayer. Father, there are days that I look around and I just scratch my head. I'm so glad you have a plan. And Lord, there are certain days that all we can do is trust by faith that you have a plan because we don't see it. Oh, we may get glimpses of it here and there, but it just seems like things are getting worse and worse and worse. But I wonder, Lord, if because your plan has a world that is spinning out of control, maybe our prayer ought to be, oh God, thank you. It's getting gloriously dark down here. Because that's the time you're going to break through in the midst of the darkness. And Lord, we want to be in a position to do our part, individually and collectively. So this morning, Lord, we've talked about the plan. In eternity past, you had it. You have it today, you have it tomorrow, you'll have it for all eternity because you're God. 
And maybe that plan this morning is for somebody to come and receive Christ as Savior and Lord of life. We would so welcome that, to have the opportunity to share with somebody what it means to have their sins forgiven, to trust Christ, even be a member of this church if that's what they choose. We're not interested in growing this church as much as we're interested in growing the body. We believe if we do that, you'll give us members here enough to do what you want us to do. Maybe the others here today that are Christians, even good members of this church, but we've just let some things slip. Maybe through apathy, maybe through just unconfessed, unrepented of sin that is built up in our life, things that we've taken for granted spiritually in our life that nullify us. Maybe some need to come and kneel at this altar and just talk to you. Not talk to one of us, just talk to you. Maybe there are those who need to come and join by letter or statement or any other way this church would receive members. They want to be a part of a church that's doing something, that has a plan to coincide with your plan. Lord, we would welcome them to come and join us. Any other decision this morning that will bring honor and glory to your Son, our Savior, I claim it in His name and solely for His praise and His glory. Now, Lord, may your Spirit guide and direct those who need to make a decision. And I ask this for Christ's sake. Amen.